We have been discussing how our living hope keeps us focused on our future inheritance. As we said last session, we are to keep our goal in mind with a single-minded determination. We discussed the biblical reality that our hope, our bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event has behavioral consequences in the here and the now. Belief begets behavior, attitude provokes action, character drives conduct. Our identification with our Heavenly Father establishes for each of us a moral standard. We saw it in verse 16, because it is written, you shall be holy, different, distinct, set apart for a sacred service. You are to be holy as I am holy. But as we will discover in this session, just as God established a standard for obedience, he has also established consequences for disobedience. Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter once again, chapter 1. We pick up our study this session in verse 17. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now, let's get started in this session at the very beginning. It's always a good place to begin is at the beginning. If, and you know you do, address, that is invoke, call upon the Father. Peter uses the word Abba, that term of intimacy, meaning daddy, the same term that Jesus, or the same word for the Father that Jesus used in the model prayer. Our Father, Abba, Abba, Daddy, that familial term, that term of intimacy. However, Peter does not want believers to lose sight of the reality that even though there is an intimacy in the relationship or to the relationship, the one with whom we have this relationship is still the holy God of the universe who judges our behavior because our behavior reflects on him. When you see a child misbehaving in a restaurant, and most of us have at one point or another, whether the child is throwing food or screaming or hollering or trying to get out of the chair. Most of us don't blame the child. We blame the parents. How come they didn't raise that child better? Or you're attending a sporting event, a ball game, and you see a teenager and their behavior, the, the words coming out of their mouth or the things that they're doing. And you wonder, didn't they learn any better at home. Isn't that the way we tend to react? Why? Because behavior reflects on our upbringing. How we behave 
reflects positively or negatively on our parents. If we're the children of God, then how we behave is going to reflect on the character of our Father. Old Testament Israel never seemed to grasp this concept. Back in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We read, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Not only did God bring them out of Egypt, notice what the Father says, I brought them to myself. Not from something, but to someone. From Egypt to myself. He goes on to say in verse 5, Now then, on the basis of this, the fact that I called you from something to me, now then, if you will indeed obey. We looked at that word in one of our sessions uh, not too long ago. In the word obedience means to come under the one whose voice we hear. If you will obey, here it is, my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a reference Peter will make later in his letter of encouragement. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. If you will, oh, hear my voice and obey, obey to come under the authority of the one whose voice we hear. Remember, he said, if you do these things, you will be a holy nation, distinct, different, set apart for a sacred purpose. Israel was to make God's name great by their character and their conduct. They were his covenant people. They bore his name, and they were to be a testimony to the other nations. When other nations would look at Israel, they would see their character and their conduct and say, wow, they must have a great God. Sadly, this did not turn out to be reality for the Israelites. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. We hear David's prayer when he wants to build the temple and dedicate it. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord, God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. 
And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, here it is, and make a name for himself. Notice, God did not make Israel great for their sake, but for his name's sake. And to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself, there it is again, from Egypt, from nations and their gods. Notice, David in his prayer said, God, you did not call us out of Egypt. You did not make us a wonderful nation for our sake. You made us a great nation. You called us to yourself for your name's sake, that we as a people might make your name great. But what happened? Prophetic work of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36. The prophet writes, beginning in verse 16, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. When I expected my people through their character and their conduct to reflect my greatness, they did just the opposite. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they had defiled it with their idols. Also I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned, here it is, my holy name. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. God said, you deserve the punishment I brought to you. You deserved judgment because you embarrassed me before the other nations. And I should leave you where you are. I'm not going to rescue you for your sake. I am going to rescue you for the sake of my name. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. 
Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. God says, look, you deserved your punishment because you embarrassed me before the nations. God takes his name very, very seriously. And our character and our conduct as children of God will reflect either positively or negatively on the Father himself. This is the point Peter is seeking to make in verse 17. So back to 1 Peter. Yes, we are still studying 1 Peter. Back to verse 17 again. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, here it is, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth. I know what you are going through, Peter is saying. I know the, the terror that you are experiencing. I know the persecution you are experiencing. But all of the hurt that you are going through, all the hate that is being inflicted on you is not an excuse to defame my name through your character and your conduct. Membership in God's family is not a blank check for moral unrestraint. Disobedience will not go unnoticed or unpunished. Look at verse 17 again. If you address as father, the one who impartially judges. That word impartial is an incredibly compound Greek word. It is actually made up of four distinct and different words. When put together, it simply means without face or without respect to persons. Peter is saying God's judgment does not simply look on the surface. It penetrates beneath the surface. It, it, he judges our conduct, but he also judges our character. He judges our actions, but he also judges our attitude. He judges our means, but he also judges our motives. You see, God is not only concerned about you and me doing right things. He, was, he is equally concerned about us doing those right things for the right reason. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, Saul has sinned. Saul has sought to elevate himself above God. And God said it's time for a new king. And so in 1 Samuel 16, now the Lord said to Samuel, that is the prophet of God, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? He said, In peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And then verse 7, those words that many of us know well. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He looks beyond our means to our motives. Not only what we do, but why we do what we do. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which is actually the foundation for our ministry. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This ought to be a sobering thought for every single one of us. Many of us may check our actions, but we may fail at the point of checking our attitude. And Peter is saying the one who impartially judges will indeed judge both. But what kind of judgment is Peter talking about? First, I want us to clearly understand this is not, not a judgment of salvation. He is writing to believers. He is writing to believers who are suffering greatly. But this judgment is not a judgment regarding their salvation. How do I know that? The Bible tells us so. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified, that means just as if I never sinned in the eyes of God, having been justified by faith, forsaking all, I trust him. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith, forsaking all, I trust him into this grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, in which we stand. We've planted our flag. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And because we have taken our stand on this grace, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And Paul went on to say, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that our tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, and that was us. For one 
will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates, makes evident his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be, we have been saved, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Paul wrote in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is not based on what we do for God. It is totally, completely, unequivocally based on what God has already done for us through Christ. In fact, Peter himself acknowledged this to be the case in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter writes, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were, past tense, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Our sins have already been judged on the cross. And think about it this way. If we were to take a, a trip back in time, to the days in which sacrifices were made in the temple. Men and women would bring their sacrifice to the temple. That precious lamb would be slaughtered for the sins of the people. And the priest had set up tables. And in order to expedite the process, the priest would say to all of us there to who, who are there to sacrifice in the temple, in order to speed up the process, each of you have been given a name tag. We would like for you to write on that name tag your name and the vilest, most awful sin you have ever committed. That way, when you go to perform the sacrifice or to offer the sacrifice, the priest will know exactly why you are seeking atonement. And so everybody standing in line begins to fill out their name tag. Tony, Samuel, Martha. And in a matter of moments, there are name tags bearing some of the most awful, heinous, horrible sins ever committed by man. And into that crowd steps the Lord Jesus. And he walks up to me and he says, Wayne, give me your name tag. But Lord, my, my sin is not as awful as some of these others. Lord, I, I'll, just, I'll just handle this sacrifice on my own. 
And the Lord Jesus says to me, if you don't give me your name tag, you can never be forgiven. You can never be cleansed. Atonement cannot occur. And so reluctantly, I take my name tag off. And Jesus puts it on his own robe. Person after person, line after line, until the robe of the Lord Jesus is covered with some of the most disgusting, filthy sins ever committed by man. And then Jesus steps forward, and he does not offer a sacrifice. He becomes that sacrifice. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for every one of us on the cross. So the judgment of which Peter is speaking is not a judgment in regard to salvation, which brings us back to our word hope, the bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. We do not work to be saved. We work in gratitude that we have been saved. And when we lose sight of that, the discipline of the Lord will surely remind us. And this brings us back to our nagging question of judgment. And this is a question we will consider next session. In the meantime, remember, you belong to God. You are a child of God. You bear the family name. Live your life in a way that will reflect well on His name. We will see you next session. Once again, let me thank you for joining us on this journey through God's Word. We know your time is precious. And so we consider it an incredible privilege that you've chosen to spend it with us. As I have shared before, we'd love to hear from you. Knowing how we have encouraged you encourages us. Recently, I had an individual say, I sit in front of my computer with my Bible, with my notebook, with my pen, ready to learn from God's word. If you're watching uh, on YouTube, you can leave a comments note at the bottom. We'd love to see those. Or you can reach us. Our email address is wordpowermm at gmx.com. Wordpowermm at gmx.com. If watching this ministry and learning from God's Word has encouraged you, please tell others about us whether they watch us on YouTube, find us on Instagram or on podcast, we'd love to know that we are being used by God to help people go deeper in their faith. God bless you. And again, thank you.